Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here and you're listening today. We have been praying for you. As you continue to listen in, feel free to engage with others who are watching with you as well. We are a community that loves one another, that encourages one another, and grows together. We want to be a community, so feel free to engage as part of that. Well, as part of that, we're going to be talking about the community of God's people today. See, in the beginning, after God had created Adam and Eve, he had allowed different people to be traveling around where he chose Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob. And then Jacob had his 12 sons and Joseph moved to, to Egypt and then the family followed. And in that time, the Israelites became enslaved in the country of Egypt. But they were still God's people. God had chosen Abraham to be his inheritance. And he had said, I will establish you as my family. He picked a man to whom he could walk in relationship with. And we follow in the Bible the descendants of Abraham. And there are examples of how each one of them encountered God in powerful ways. But when Joseph moved his family to Egypt during the drought, and then the, the hundred years after that, a couple hundred years after that, Pharaoh, who had risen up, had forgotten the great things that Joseph had done for the land. And the Israelites became enslaved. But God didn't forget that the people were struggling in slavery. See, the people were struggling, and the Pharaoh of the land had forgotten the good that they had done. But God had not forgotten. He remembered them, and a man named Moses rose up to take God's people through a very amazing course of events. Now you think God would pick the best and the most skilled person to take care of his people, right? But Moses was far from the perfect choice. He lost his temper and he murdered someone. He had a speech impediment. Moses was a bit of a coward. He was trying to get God to send somebody else because he said, I don't know that God can use me. But God chose Moses because God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people. And you, the same is true for you. God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people like you and me. Are we willing to say yes to God? See, in fact, when God uses the regular non-showy person, there is no confusion that God is the one doing the amazing thing. It is clear that God is in control. So God called Moses and told him that he was going to go to Pharaoh and seek the release of the people. If you have a Bible accessible, please turn to Exodus chapter 6. We're going to read out of verse 1. Exodus 6. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. 
I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And then Moses, after this, goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh refuses to listen. Pharaoh won't do it. So God turns all of the water in the Nile River into blood. Then God sends frogs and gnats and flies, the plague of livestock and boils and hail and locusts and darkness, and eventually death of the firstborn. These are plagues that happen where where Pharaoh says, I will let them go. And then Moses says, okay. And then Pharaoh changes his mind. So God then sends another plague where boils break out. So Pharaoh says, go ahead and leave. And then he changes his mind. And then the gnats broke out. It was a constant repeating of plagues until all of the plagues have ravished Egypt. And Pharaoh finally says, enough, just go. And the Israelite people take their families, their livestock, and their belongings, and they leave. And they travel to the Red Sea. And by then, Pharaoh changes his mind. Pharaoh's like, wait a minute. I just let all the slaves go. Who's going to do all the work around here? We pick up our story in Exodus 14.5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servant was changed towards the people, and they said, what is this that we have done, and that we have let Israel go from serving us? But God has already delivered them from the land of Pharaoh. God had already sent them out. Recall Exodus 6.6, where God says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So as they're fleeing through the desert, they arrive at the Red Sea, and there is a giant sea in front of them, and there is a giant army of Egyptians behind them that Pharaoh has sent after them. And God tells Moses, lift up your hands. And as you do, the waters will part. So Moses lifted up his hands. And as he did, the waters separated. And the the Israelites walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. And once they arrived to the other side, God allowed the sea to flow normally again over the top of the Egyptians. And all of the people who were chasing him drowned in the Red Sea. See, God took the people out of slavery, and he brought them to freedom, just as he said he would. He did what he said he would do. He took care of his people. But the people, they didn't continue to say, yes, our God was faithful, our God took care of us. They quickly got discontent. In Exodus 16, verse 2, it says, The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. So they began to complain and say, we should have stayed. We should have stayed in slavery. It would have been better to stay in slavery than to be hungry in freedom. But God then takes care of them yet again. And he sends down bread from from heaven called manna. If you remember last week, I talked about how in the Ark of the Covenant, that box that they carried around, that the presence of God in it, there was a jar of manna. This is the moment where God sent down bread from heaven and fed the people with manna. The people eat this bread for a while. They'd wake up every morning and there'd be manna 
all across the land, and they could pick it up and eat bread that fell from heaven. But then after a little while, they began to complain again. In Exodus 16, 11, God says, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So God sent manna, bread, in the morning, and quail in the evening to feed the people in the desert. He delivered them from slavery. He brought them through the Red Sea. He fed them bread in the morning and meat in the evening. And they began to complain again about water this time. And they get in disputes with one another. Moses had to set up a system of judges to help get, to govern the people and teach them what is right. But God decided that the nation of Israel needed a more firm set of rules. Because while they were living as a nation of a few million former slaves who had been set free, they weren't living free. They had been set free, but they were not living free in their lives. They were killing, they were coveting, they were committing adultery, they were lying, they were worshiping other gods, they were grumbling. They were not content with the things that they had. Though they had been set free, they were not choosing to live free. How true is that in our own lives sometimes? That although we have been set free by Christ, we still live in our old patterns. Ah, may we be like Moses saying, okay, I will live for God. Just like the Israelites, each one of us is already set free. God has already made us to be his sons and his daughters. And as Christians, we don't do or not do things to obey God so he will love us. See, we don't earn God's love by obeying him. He already loves us, and that should be why we want to obey him. Because we love him, we want to honor him with our lives. But this is where we pick up our message for today. God created a list of Ten Commandments, a list that tells us how to live in a way that honors God. Sometimes we look at it as a way that we have the Ten Rules, the Ten Rules of Christianity, but it really is how to live in a way that honors God, to care for ourselves, and to keep harm from being done to others. How do we live in a way that we love God and we love others? And this list encompasses all of that of how we can begin to truly allow the love of God to change us, that we operate in freedom. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to look at the list of Ten Commandments. But today, I want to start with the first three that God outlines. See, we wouldn't know anything about God if He didn't say it about Himself. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God. God was at the beginning. We have no understanding of God's existence outside of what he reveals to us. Because he was there at the beginning. And in Exodus 20 verse 1, God began by declaring who he is. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The Lord your God brought you out of the land of slavery. In your life, the Lord your God has brought you out of your past, out of your addictions, out of your hurts, your pain, your shame, your regret, your remorse, and he brings you to victory. He isn't declaring that he is the God of the past generations. He is not just the God of your fathers and forefathers. He is saying, I am the Lord your God. Wherever you are right now, God is with you in your car 
in the library, at home, wherever you sit right now, God is with you, and he is the Lord, your God. He loves you. God declares that he is the one who brings us out of our past, out of our slavery. See, slavery was seen as a way of paying off a debt. When someone owed a debt, they could sell themselves as a slave. And God is declaring that he has taken the debt that we owe away. You are no longer slaves to sin because Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you are not a slave to sin anymore. He took away your sins. He bore your sins upon that tree that you can now take on his righteousness and walk in the freedom that Jesus Christ offers to you. And from this understanding, we can see that God is a personal God, not just a God of our family, not just a God of our grandparents, but that he has brought each one of us out of slavery, that he is removing or paying off our debts. God then outlines how we can love him. This is how you can love me, because I am the Lord your God. See, as a parent, I set out rules in my house of ways to protect my children, not to prevent them from having fun, but to keep them, to keep them safe, mm-hmm. to keep them from getting hurt. And God wants the same for us. God wants to be our only. The first command that God gives to us is have no other gods. Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. In each of our lives, God is inviting us into an intimate relationship with him where he can guide us, where he can protect us, where he can make us prosper. In Exodus 19.4, it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, the God who designed the galaxies should not compete for a few minutes a day that we make for him. The God who designed every intricate part of our world wants every intricate part of our hearts. He wants time with us, for us to talk to him when things are difficult, to thank him when things are good, to seek him for answers, to be the one that we delight in. God is calling to us. He wants our universe to surround him, not just to be a tiny addition to our week or our year. God doesn't instruct us to have no other gods besides him because he's afraid that we will love other gods more. He knows it's harmful for us to have our attention split. See, consulting with mediums and spiritualists, they begin to open up the spiritual attacks from unclean spirits. We do not want to open up our lives to allow unclean things in. God wants to protect us. Without even meaning to, we can set up the gods of this world as we pursue the desires of our heart. Psalms 37.3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. God wants us to look to him solely. And this is much like the second command. Second command says, have no other idols. Exodus 20 verse 4 says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath 
or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the father on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. All throughout the Bible, we read of the Israelites struggling to rid themselves of idols. It is so easy to just say, destroy it all. But the reason they kept the idols around was because they were struggling and looking for something. The different gods supposedly gave them the different things if they possessed it. If you held a specific item, you had the god of fertility, the god of love, the god of wealth, the god of power, the god of comfort, the god of victory. See, our society is no different than that. We are a society that is driven by greed, desire for, for pleasure and power. And if there are any objects in your life that drive you for more than pleasing God, you need to remove them. Put God first. Do not have any idols. This command comes with a promise. If you love God and keep his commands, he will show love to our family for a thousand generations. But if we hate him, he will punish to the third and fourth generation. Do you want to see a legacy of blessing in your family? Then do as Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Let's be people that truly put God first and do not allow any idols to come above the value of God in our hearts. The third command is we are to not misuse God's name. Exodus 20, verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Is the Lord holy to you? Is his name a treasured name to you? See, God is not something to be treated casually. He is the creator. He is to be honored and respected. Our speech should value God in our lives. So many people in our society use God's way as a, as a means to express shock or surprise. Our society uses God's name also as a curse word. But God says to use it only as holy, to not misuse his name. As Philippians 2 verse 9 says, Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is to be respected. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-loving. And he is unchanging. And if we want to be set apart as God's people and claim that we are Christians, then we must not allow the name of God to be in a way that lacks reverence and respect. Keep God's name as holy. See, the same God who wrote the book of Deuteronomy is the same God that we serve today. To be a Christian means that we want to follow Jesus. We know that Jesus came to fulfill the law. We've talked about how Jesus came for us. That Jesus is the Son of God who takes away our sins. But God still wants to be the only God that we have. That we do not have idols. That we do not misuse his name. He's calling us into a deeper relationship with him. 
where we don't look to anything else, where we don't allow anything to take a higher value than our relationship with him. Do we have a healthy respect for God? Let me ask you, do you identify with the Israelites? Is there anywhere in your life where you have been living in slavery? Either to the performance society demands out of you or to the self-imposed expectations of yourself. What has been your Egypt? Do you need God to deliver you from something? Depression, financial hardship, relational conflict, sickness, lack of direction. The Lord your God loves you. And he wants to deliver you from the Egypts that you've been living in. Just as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob loved his people and delivered them, your God, our God, loves you. And he is calling you to walk out of this slavery because Jesus paid the price for you, that you can turn over the things that you are hanging on to, to him. And you can move forward in freedom. Not with grumbling, not with complaining. But you can move forward saying, I will put my trust in God to open up the Red Sea, to close it behind me, to provide the food that I need, the manna and the quail, that I will continue to look to Him. And as I do, I will begin to mirror my life that I am honoring God with my life. Not just living as a free person, but living as a free person who honors God with my actions. That we put God first, that we have no other idols, that we do not misuse his name, but that we truly value God and his place as the creator of the universe. As we go into this next song, I invite you, inspect your life. If there is an area where you have been hanging on to something that you need deliverance from, feel free to communicate in the chat with others. We'll pray with you. If you want to just pray to yourself, begin to release that to God and ask him to help you to make your relationship with him the priority.